Welcome to the Social Justice War Room, the podcast where we discuss social justice and fiction, reality, and everything in between. My next guest today is a member of the webcomic community. He's done a tremendous amount of work. She's the creator of the Cara Bear Comics universe, an elaborate superhero universe with multiple characters and artists. Her main series is Almighty Protectors on Comic Fury. Please welcome Ave Messer. How are you doing, Ave? I'm doing okay. Um, pretty decently, at least. Yeah, so you've been doing comics for a long time now, and there's like at least 10 years worth of work on your Comic Fury archive. What got you into it? Well, it was ultimately as a fan of superheroes, uh, I I always know they work best in comics. The stories I always wanted to tell, comics. I just never was an artist. Uh, as, as one can attest, if they read some of my earlier stuff, Care Bear Comics Unlimited, it was pretty bad to start with. It's not exactly amazing now, but you know, <laughs> it's as good as I can do with my art. That's why I get other people when I can. Well, it's everyone has to start somewhere. I started <clears throat> basically teaching myself how to draw while I was doing my own comics, so I can relate to that. And I mean, as long as you're telling the story, I. It's fine, but you mentioned you've had other artists before. How do you go about setting up those collaborations? Uh, for uh, I found that actually the best place to just do it is like go on to a place like Fiverr and find the ones that'll work for the rates that you uh, that you can go for, and go from there. And I've also found that often people will figure out their worth is higher than what you can afford. And what you do then is you wish them well and be grateful that they uh, realize that they are actually worth more than they were charging. Yeah, well, if they're if they're offering to work for for lower, then that's consenting. Yeah, it so. is consenting, but it's also I've found that people are too detrimental of their own skills often. And so they lower them. They they lower their feeling of their own value because they're too detrimental of themselves. Yeah, but that does give them the chance to get work out and get important practice. And you have had a lot of good artists on your work. So, uh, yeah, a lot of good artists, and also me. So not all good art. Yeah. So it. Your work deals with themes that aren't often addressed in superhero comics, specifically a lot of LGBT themes. Has Do you think that caught up in mainstream comics in recent years, or is it still largely something left either unexamined or poorly examined? Uh, it's, it's something that still hasn't truly caught up, especially because, well, uh, for one thing, you can just see from how much uh, there's so much fan backlash whenever there's anything that is slightly not cis white male. Uh, well, uh, cis hetero white male, that they're just like uh, people go crazy online, and it's just like, come on, these are the people are people. Come yeah. on with that. Yeah, that's come up a lot on this podcast, and 
on the one hand, it's easy to just write off the people as a complaining as a vocal minority, but they do a lot of damage with how much noise and threat they raise and threats they make. Yeah, and the problem is there are some uh, actually established creators in the industry who also uh, are sympathetic to that point of view. Uh, very specifically, I can think of one, uh, one particular artist who kind of spearheaded the Comicscape movement. It's the frog guy. Yeah, Cyberfrog, which the thing is, Cyberfrog is not is not a comic that I consider to be bad. I just don't like the freaking guy that made it. I haven't read it and the new version since he puts it behind those expensive Indiegogo paywalls. I don't see why uh, anyone would want to read it unless they just wanted to own the libs so badly they'd burn that much money. Especially since he's yeah. so poor actually fulfilling his campaigns. Yeah, he's... He's somebody that it's like his art's good, and I wish that he he were a better person because it's like I would support him if it's, uh, if he were a better person. Yeah, but it it wouldn't be that hard for him to be a better person, and he still hasn't done it. And I I still can't fathom why he did what he did because he basically was an A list artist at DC, and he torched his career for this culture war crap. And he's caused a lot of damage and maybe I'm just waiting for when like the money he gets from the, his hate campaigns dries up and, but yeah. But also there's the fact that the mainstream companies are far from saintly, including, especially when it comes to LGBT issues, like, even a lot of the stuff that you see with Gen see now with more inclusive characters, it's usually done in such a way that they can just go back to the old stuff the second it stops being as it as much of a thing. Yeah, it's it's just one of those. I, I can only imagine if we if we would have had the internet back in the 40s, people would have been going all crazy when there were characters like, say, Black Fury and stuff who were just, you know, uh, she was a prominent female character in comics. And it's like, oh, how dare they? Right. Yeah. Or especially in the 60s and the 70s. But, but also, that brings me to your work because you have used a lot of public domain characters and brought them into settings where they where they're modernized do you have a particular affection for that kind of golden age character or is it the fact that it's a blank slate since those comics were very simplistic because they were very early in the medium well, I, I do kind of like the idea of taking these characters as they were back then and seeing what you can do of bringing them into a more modern sort of sensibility of a story, having them actually look at issues that those comics would have never had them look at. But also there's just a simple fact that some of the characters are just fun. Even if they're objectively poorly done characters, it's like, 
But what if I, uh, what, what if you go in there and actually make something fun out of what they, what's pretty bad? I've yeah. never, I've never used Red B, but he's one that I'm like, how could you do that in a proper way? <laughs> well, a lot of times it seemed like the, not sure which consistorian said it that was like the same superhero showed up every month with a new name and a new color for his costume. There are a lot of them like that. Are there any that you'd, but you mentioned the Red Bee is someone you'd think would be particularly fun to like redo. Are there any others who have like something there that was ahead of its time that could you, that could be gone back to? Well, I've, I've always had an affinity for, uh, say, Madame Fatal, because she's one that I, that there's something that you can work with with that by the fact of a cross-dressing superhero, which that must have been uh, quite scandalous back in the day. I mean, it uh, yeah. wasn't 22 issues, but, you know, just like that's a character that you can go, uh, go into and actually kind of explore a little bit more with. Because you've already got something there that in the 40s must must have been they, they're like don't talk about that. Yeah, is when you look back at stuff from that era and how it handles issues of gender identity and sexuality, like how, how do you how does one judge that that because obviously the there's far less understanding. I mean, that there's, there's never excuse for outright bigotry, but a lot of it just seems like they don't have the vocabulary to discuss things. Well, yeah, there, there's, uh, there's just also the fact that you can uh, kind of show how, uh, if you put up modern characters into their setting, like what happened in, in Almighty Protectors when I had my characters go back well, well, go into the world of the public domain superheroes. They had their sensibilities, and it was them rubbing up against the just institutional ignorance that that was just there. Like the fact that they met the uh, the Captain Marvel, uh, the public domain version of Captain Marvel, and he's he's meaning well, but he is saying some not okay things because yeah. it's the 1940s, and that's what people said. Yeah, but it, it's, in, and it's interesting because your characters are like entirely part of that so-called alphabet mafia, not to be flip about the it, but that's the, that's the, ter the term for LGBTQ and the various things that are added, which so that definitely creates tension when coming up against characters like that, no matter which side they're on. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I have a tendency to make my characters tend to be part of the LGBT community in part because I'm part of it. But also just, I mean, well, that's a, that's a main thing about it because I'm like, I'm writing characters that I'd want to read myself. It's like, for the most part, I'm not really wanting to read straight characters, straight cis characters. There is already a surplus of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, 
straight cis uh, heterosexual, well, cis het white characters are the default in Marvel and DC. And yeah, that's true. I don't tend to go that way. Uh, I, I know that there was one time where there was a comic that I created that was uh, all off characters from the public domain. And so most of them were uh, uh, cishet straight people. And I didn't find it very interesting. I couldn't continue with it. Yeah, which is why a lot of, why your material tends to go in a different direction than that because that direction is so well trodden, right? Yeah, at least I found it more interesting than the comic where I had myself as a superhero. That was so boring because I'm boring. I, I thought it was a nice gesture. I thought it was interesting to do so, do a kind of autobiographical superhero story. because It was basically it, a, what if I got superpowers? And it's just like, <laughs> do, do I really think I'd have any adventures? <laughs> do I really think people would care about me? I'd rather put elements of myself into characters and put all myself into a character. Yeah, that's true. But it was it was a nice experiment, right? It was a nice experiment. Um, I'm not going to go back to it. Heck, uh, if if one has read uh, all the way through my comic up to uh, uh, through the stuff I did last year, they'll know I totally intend to not go back to myself as a superhero. I made sure of it. Ah, <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, but you do have all this as part of the Cara Bear comics universe. Is that is that the name you go with? For uh, yeah, your Cara Bear comics is is the name I go with for the stuff. In part because while I go by my middle name, Cara is my first name, and so it's just like Cara Bear, ah, even though nice. I kind of think it's a silly name. But I thought it was good at the uh, at the start, and it's like, well, I'll keep branding stuff that way. And the advantage of having your own superhero universe is that you can use and reuse anything you've created in that universe, right? Yeah, I, I did ultimately uh, begin it with the idea of oh, uh, with that the really bad idea that oh yeah, I'll just continue, I'll just make a line of comics. I'll find a way to make it just be like its own big universe with, with all these different things. It's like, I can't manage that. I, I'll do one comic, Almighty Protectors, and the other ones are basically supplemental to that now. Well, it's a, it's a good idea to have like a flagship and then have stuff around that. Uh, usually, like Marvel and DC, do that with the Avengers and Justice League, respectively. So, yeah, um, and, and I, I know back in the '90s, their big flagship title was really X Men, and that's what I grew up with. Um, and it's funny to me, though, that I tend to think of you, you know I grew up with X Men; they were the the team, and yet I tend to relate my my comic more to the Fantastic Four than I do the X Men. What do you mean by that? Maybe in part because they, they go on all these uh, wild adventures to different places, which is a very Fantastic Four thing. And they're very much more of a family. Yeah, I've seen, right. I've seen that dynamic, the found family. 
yeah, the, the found family, I mean, you, you do have two groups of siblings, you, you, you know, two pairs of siblings in there. <laughs> but yeah. It's the way it, uh, way it works. That, that they have varying uh, relationships with their parents, different ways they relate with their parents. I mean, one right. was completely kicked out of her home. Another one, uh, the, the twins, their, their parents are, uh, well, one of them's okay with it. The other one's, eh. And then the, um, the, then, then the, the other two, they actually have pretty okay parents about it. Yeah, that I guess that mirror, of course, mirrors the way real life reactions to coming out go. Yeah, um, I, I think it in part comes from the fact that my family has very mixed reactions to uh, after I came out, and so I'm like, yeah, I know that it's not just going to be horrible parents or amazing parents. And sometimes there's even nuance within the accepting or not. Yeah. You, you know, well, like the fact that my family, my family loves me. Every, every bit of my family wants me in their lives. But some of them are just not as accepting. That's unfortunate. I'm sorry. But it, it does sound like there's at least the desire to, to, ha to have you in their lives. Oh, for sure. Yeah, even my even my very, very Republican dad still wants me in his life and tries. He tries. That's good. Yeah, he tries to be okay with things, but, you know, he's kind of pretty far away from me politically. That's, that's good because given how far the, the right has gone in an absolutely inhumane direction, if he can at least... It show you some acceptance. I mean, maybe part of it helps that I came out back when I was in college, back in the, uh, I'd, thought, I'd like to think I came out to him in maybe 2008. Uh, and so he's, uh, things weren't as bad in that regard back then. I mean, Bush was president, so things were not great. But, you know, they weren't as bad. Yeah, that there's definitely in terms of like social conservatism, a vast difference between Bush and Trump. Yeah, at the time I thought Bush was the worst president that could, there could ever be. I did not want the universe to prove me wrong. And it did, unfortunately. I mean, yeah. he, Bush is... I mean, Bush was, of course, terrible, and he did a lot of horrible things, and we're still living with the those horrible things, but there wasn't the same kind of, like, cultural shift towards rejecting all of reality in favor of, like, an agenda that's just resentment and a need for revenge against whoever slighted you. Yeah, like, uh... Bush at least understood the the basics of politics. He passed the squint test for presidency. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but going back to less terrible topic, you've been on Comic Fury for a long time now, and you've done a lot of collaborative work 
not just in terms of getting artists, but in terms of opening up your comic to guest stars and having people contribute. Like I contribute, I offered an image of KA from the Wirecats for a multiversal superhero scene. How? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of crossovers. What's the best, what are some of the better crossovers that you've done with that? Like where you've opened it up and people have really contributed? Uh, well, that's, uh, that's a good question. Uh, considering I wrote most of the stuff, I don't want to be like, oh, this was great because I did it. Uh, only one of the, uh, all, all of last year was just every month was a different crossover. Uh, only one of those comics was not written by me. And I think that one was a pretty good job. It was a crossover with the comic Drunk Tank. And it was it was a good comic. I don't think that I was quite so good with the art on it. But then again, I'm always critical of my art. So um, you never know. The, the, the guy who wrote it liked it. It's but good. it was also odd to have, a, have an issue that I didn't write. Well, is there some fulfillment to simply the process of having a community of like active participation and to like exchange things in these exercises? I guess you've done some of the holiday exchanges that they do. Yeah, uh, it's it's fun to see how people interpret your character to see your uh, the idea of your character running up against somebody else who uh, other characters that they that you didn't create so their personalities are going to be a bit different i i still like the script i did for the girl power crossover even though i don't i i think my art really brought that one down um again that just make uh, just be just that be, being detrimental towards my art the entire way through but um uh, just di different stuff like that. Uh, I, I know my first crossover in Almighty Protectors was with uh, Misfits of Mischief, and that that one I think was the most uh, most teething pains with it because I think I was still trying to figure out how how my characters cross over with others, how how they interact uh, as characters with others. Well. It seems by now you've figured a lot of that out since your characters do frequently go into different multiverses and the protectors are kind of used to just kind of drifting around different parts of the universe and different genres. Yeah, um, and I love the fact that I can just put them anywhere and it works with the comic. My problem currently is I'm like, I have supporting characters that I set up that I haven't really used because I keep my characters keep going off into other universes. Yeah. Well, that's kind of a strength of the superhero genre though, that you can do literally anything and it's like all the genres at once. Yeah, uh, that, that's something that I actually think a lot of people seem to not acknowledge. It's the fact that superhero as a genre is really just a hodgepodge genre. It's everything. It's fantasy, it's sci-fi, it's mystery, it's uh, just anything you can think of as far as a genre can be superhero. That's true. That's true. And 
though when it comes to shared universes, they don't all use that potential. Or like you could definitely see there's a tone set for say the MCU and they seem to have broadened it a bit now that they lost their biggest actors, something, but that's something that the comics will never have to deal with because their characters are comic characters and thus immortal. Uh, I do really appreciate where the MCU was going on the idea of uh, uh, multi multiple universes, but one of its problems is it started out very political and it's backed away from that so much. You watch the first Iron Man film and it is so political. Right. It wasn't afraid to talk about things. Maybe, uh, maybe they weren't doing everything perfectly, but they were trying. And they, they, that, I think that's what threw everybody for a loop with Black Panther was because Black Panther what kind of felt like they were trying to go back to that sort of thing. Yeah. That, but people are now point. used to the MCU films being all uh, safe. Well, it seems like when they were setting up with Iron Man, they wanted to show that it was like in how the comics have advertised themselves, the world outside your window. So they had Tony Stark in Afghanistan and dealing with terrorists, not, I mean, they're still off-brand terrorists, which is probably for the best because they really wouldn't want to see them using real Muslims as baddies, but and then as it got more successful and they brought more things in, it just kind of meshed together to kind of a safer, more replicable tone. So that yeah, they could... well, well, the thing is, they, they go from uh, what feels like they could have been real terrorists in uh, Iron Man 1. But then by the time of Iron Man 3, they're like, oh, let's, uh, let's do this very disjointed concept i'm actually not a fan of that film um, i thought i was the only one because i i appreciate what i was going for but it's like you have the mandarin raise all these points about the terribleness of the american empire points that are good and it's not even that he's he's the bad guy making them them but that it, it doesn't even matter because it's just a smokescreen for the real villain who's far less interesting than a Ben Kingsley Mandarin would have been. And the thing is, I think Mandarin would have been uh, better as a character if he would have been more like, heck, even more like a Killmonger. You know, somebody who has a salient point to, uh, and that, that actually makes you stop and think. Yeah, um, it's true. Like, I mean, I've complained about how Killmonger is kind of it, it's it, his points are done a disservice when they're coming out of someone that's that's obviously meant to be the bad guy, but they, but still, like, he's a memorable character, he's a complex character, it's a superb performance by Michael Jordan, Michael B. Jordan. And like, if you had bad guys based on real world terrible people like trump they they wouldn't be entertaining they're too one-dimensional for fiction 
God, oh, yeah, I said when say. Trump was one, uh, but back when Trump was running back in 2016, it's just he sounded like a cartoon supervillain, something that most people would say that's too unrealistic. He's too evil. Just like, yeah. Man, how can you do a caricature of uh, of what's going on now when you when everything's a caricature? That that's a good question that I ask myself a lot because when you're in kind of a post-satire world where reality is so absurd. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, but, yep. but I, I think another problem with those Iron Man films, so even though they uh, they started out trying to say something political and everything, and I, I admire them trying to go with that, but their, their big problem is it's about the good corporate people versus the bad corporate people. When in the real world, Good corporate is not really true. There's moderately okay sometimes corporate and bad corporate. Right. There's right. There's an issue of like structural morality where simply having that much power and money consolidated in the hands of so few people is just going bound for abuse, even if sometimes they don't abuse it as much or even if they sometimes do good things with it. And thinking like Disney itself, like they have, for all people say that they are focusing on the woke agenda, they, they've donated a lot of money to very homophobic and transphobic politicians. Yeah, those recent uh, revelations that came out with uh, them funding the everybody, that sponsored the Don't Say Gay Bill. Disney sponsored freaking every one of those politicians, apparently. Yeah. Just like, uh, that's that's scary. And Disney saying, well, our, our most, uh, the, the way we can make the most difference is make inspiring content. No, the way you make the most difference is where your money goes. Yeah. Besides, they're always, they don't treat their inspired, Firing content for LGBTQ issues very well, like the difficulties faced by the Owl House, the fact that they always have like some kind of plausible deniability for gay characters in the Marvel Universe so they can release it in mar more homophobic markets. Yeah, I, I would like to see more stuff that just... It, doesn't even give a crap about selling into China, like say the Deadpool stuff, which I realize Deadpool would would have never sold in China because it was an R-rated movie. But they need to take a stand more. I also like the the fact in Deadpool too. They're like, yeah, screw it. Let's actually have characters that are more front and center LGBT. Let's have Deadpool uh openly flirt with uh with colossus i i like that fact even though that movie was uh had st still some problematic elements to it like fridging a female character just to show just to give the male character more motivation and right stuff, but... yeah well it, even with those elements those movies still feel like there's a very clear individual identity going on and i guess since they were, it was at that point when Fox was trying to grab hold of whatever remnants of Marvel IP they could, they ended up doing some more interesting things like that in Logan. 
I still haven't seen Logan. I know I've heard it's a good one, but I, I really should see it at some point. I actually the haven't is, either. I just set just from what I've heard from everyone he has. Problem is, you know, it would be hard to find on DVD, and I'm not going to pay for a Disney Plus subscription. I don't, I don't go for streaming services because that's money, and I don't have it. Yeah. So it's and also it's Disney Plus. I don't want to support the co company that's uh, taking over the world. Yeah, right. They're especially not now. Especially not now. So going forward with Almighty Protectors and other Caravare comics, what can we look forward to in the coming issues? Well, I know I did uh, in my most recent issue of uh, Protectors, I revealed a big, big secret that was, oh, well, it was more of a reveal to the audience and the characters who was the, the villain that was posing as a hero on the team. And it, you know, from there, I'm. I know I've got uh, another mystery set up that I'm going to ah, be trying cool. to solve, uh, and so I'm working towards that. But ultimately, it's just going to be a lot of trying to tell nifty stories, trying to do still more crossovers. I even have an idea for a shared multiverse crossover ah, that cool. nobody seems to have too much interest in, but I want to get done. Well, and I, you never know if it'll happen. It brings a smile to my face when I read your comics, and I always enjoy like being able to drop in and out and see familiar characters and hey, watch their bantering. So thank you for that. And I look forward well, to what you have coming. Well, you're welcome. So thank you, Abe, for being on my podcast. And check out her work in the notes below. Have a good evening, everybody.